Welcome to Last Call, powered by Speakeasy. I'm your host, Jamie and Christian, and today we are joined by Kevin Sutton. Kevin has been one of the top coaches in the country for over 35 plus years, working at the high school level and prep levels, as well as Team USA and various colleges. Currently the Director of Basketball Strategies at Kansas State, we are pleased to welcome Kevin to Last Call. Kevin, how are you doing today? Uh, Jamie, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for this uh, this opportunity to, to have me come on and speak easy. And, uh, you know, you and I go a long way back. And uh, just always, anytime I have the opportunity to speak to you, um, I'm always honored. So thank you for, so much for having me on tonight. I love it. You know, when we were talking about potential guests, I thought you would be perfect. You know, the platform we're trying to build here at Speakeasy is one where we can help others learn um, through other coaches and just try to build this connectivity is so important for us. You know, we talk about relationships, you know, we talk about things being built through relationships. And so many times in our game, the people that can help us the most might seem so far away from us. Um, with your level of knowledge and expertise, um, again, I'm thrilled to have you on here today. Talk a little bit about, you know, you obviously had an incredible journey um, through it, but let's talk a little bit about what you're doing there at Kansas State as director of strategy. Um, it's obviously an exciting new title. You're going to be great at it. Just talk a little bit about some of the things you get to do. Again, being out in front of a little, a few things. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. You know, Jamie, this is this is a great opportunity for me. It's not a good one. This is a great opportunity. You know, Coach Tang and I go a long way back, 25 odd years. Met him first at Five Star Basketball Camp. You you you've worked at that camp and you know what it's about. And uh, um, so met him 25 years ago and uh, stayed in contact with him throughout his his career um, at Heritage. And then he went on to uh, to Baylor for the next 19 years. And then I followed my my path to try to reach my goals, you know, in this collegiate game as well as the high school game. Um, and so we just reconnected and, and he's always thought of highly of me. And I've thought highly of him as well. And then when he had the opportunity to start his program here at Kansas State, you know, he reached out and touched base with me. And he said, hey, I got a position called a director strategy. It fits your wheelhouse and all of your skill sets. Um, so I want you to really take a you know a hard look at it and, and listen to what I have to offer. And you know what, Jamion, it did. It fit every one of my skill sets, um, player development, um, which is my passion you know, my ability to to scout and be, you know, out in front and, and almost like being an advanced scout, if you will, and, you know, take information from a funnel view and then narrow it down into a digestible amount of information, you know, and then uh, give it to one of our lead assistants who will present it to the team and then be in charge of our scout team and, you know, uh, help them to learn the offensive sets um, that the other team is running. So when coach calls for the scout team in practice, they can go right into it. Um, and then also just being able to with this and, and, you know, now in the game, you know, the transfer portal is such a, um, a big part of, of our game in our business. So being on campus on a, on a, on a daily basis to re-recruit and continue to recruit the players that we have, you know, is really, really important. Um, so all those type of things have just been, you know, uh, something that I'm super excited, you know, to have the opportunity here and to help develop the strategy for us to, to build the program, help develop the strategies to help us win games. Um, and truth be told, it's I, I really believe it's going to be a position that uh, more and more people are going to, you know, develop um, because with my years of experience and wealth of knowledge, I can sit here and still um, recruit um, and evaluate talent through uh you know, looking at games on streams, 
um, and then pass that information along to the coaches that are out on the road and we can compare notes. So all of that information is uh, I mean, all of those those titles and all those responsibilities are something that we're looking forward uh, for me to do here at uh, Kansas State University. Yeah, it's a it's an exciting time in college basketball as as things are changing really rapidly. I think you know, your position is going to be one of, of real strength. You know, you talk about recruiting, you talk about rebuilding a program there. Kansas State, maybe people don't always know what a great tradition it has of yes. basketball. I mean, historically, some of the best in the game's history have come from their Kansas State. And so they've just got a great history and they love their hoops there at Kansas State. Um, so I think that's going to be something really exciting. You know, jumping on board with a first-time head coach at that level, um, what's it been like uh, just kind of sitting beside him every day? I know you can probably feel his enthusiasm. But just talk a little bit about, you know, sitting beside the guy who's really really got the charge of rebuilding this thing. Yeah, you know, uh, Jerome is a tremendous person, first and foremost. Um, and then secondly, he's a, a coach that has paid his proverbial dues. You know, he's touched every rung of the ladder. Um, you and I both know that how important that is. You know, he hasn't skipped steps. And he takes every one of those uh, jobs, that, you know, those, you know, uh, positions that he's had, you know, at, at Baylor and helped building that program there. But you know, anything that you know Scott drew uh, threw at him, he you know he took and 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 he did a great job with. And so he's well prepared to 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 be a head coach, and he knows this league like the back of his hand. And so to sit here every day and talk hoops, uh, and talk basketball with him, and then just talk about his vision for the program, um, and then it's really exciting to to know that I, I can be here with the person who we share very our views and and on life and our views on how to build a program are very similar. Uh, he's a highly emotionally intelligent person, um, so it's been great to to be a part of his staff, and he's assembled an outstanding staff. We do have a, an outstanding staff here. Uh, Kansas State. Yeah, I love that opportunity for for you and for him. Uh, and you guys are going to be right back to the top of the Big Twelve before you know it. Um, yeah, you know, let's talk a little bit about just some of your. And I want to kind of get into the the stuff that you did, kind of at Mount Verde the prep mm-hmm. and the prep ranks, because in this day and age, with how the rosters are changing over and kind of the conversations that you've got to be able to have, I think having some of your tutelage and your understanding becomes really valuable. Um, obviously a ton of international recruiting you've been able to do, but just being able to keep people on board year in and year out. Um, let's talk a little bit about, about your experience at, uh, at Mount Verde and, and some of your prep stuff that you've been able to do. And uh, you know, obviously one of the best coaches in the country doing that year in and year out. Yeah. You, you know what? Um, I was really fortunate. Um, you know, my coaching career, I've been, it's been 36 years. It's actually going to be year 37, but I did spend, uh, my first 10 years, you know, of coaching with, uh, Stu Vetter. And, um, and back in the Washington, D.C. area, where the area that we're from, where there's a high level of basketball. And uh, so I played from it for two years, and then I coached with him for 10. So, and you're an avid reader like myself, and uh, we both have read Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, uh, book about 10,000 hours. <laughs> so I, during my 10 years with Coach Vetter, I uh, put in well over 10,000 hours. And so I learned how to build a program. And so I had the opportunity in 1999 to go to Montrose Christian in Rockville to uh, start my own program there. And I uh, was there for one year and we were 32 and five. And then I had, uh, you know, guys like Jason Conley was a senior who ended up going to VMI, leading the nation in scoring and then transferring to um, uh, Missouri. 
Marvin Lewis, who was a junior, um, he ended up going to Georgia Tech um, and starting for four years and becoming a captain on a team that went to the national championship game, eventually losing to Connecticut, who's now a assistant athletic director at Brown University. He's going to be an athletic director real soon. So we had a lot of talent, you know, on that team and, and, you know, and, and, and some of it was international, you know, talent. That's when I first got my, you know, uh, taste of dealing with student athletes that, that were international. Um, and then went on to the collegiate level at Old Dominion, came back to Bishop McNamara in the WCAC. And that was a tremendous league and a tremendous, you know, growth area for me um, as a coach and how to build a program because the WCAC is, if people don't know, it's like the high school version of the ACC. Yeah. You know, the best just, high school basketball in the country yeah. right there. Without question, and you're talking about in, in, in any given week, you could have uh, St. John's on a Sunday, DeMatho on a Tuesday, O'Connell on a, on, a, on a Friday, and then finish your week off on on the following Sunday with Paul Six. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a week, you know. <laughs> if you look at last year's Final Four, Villanova had, you know, two players from WCAC schools, uh, and then Duke had two players from the uh, WCAC school. Um, North Carolina had one player. So that's just that's five players uh, played in the final four from one league. Right. And then after I spent my two years there, it really prepared me. And I knew that I was ready to take on my ultimate dream of building a high school basketball program um, at a boarding school. You know, and when you coach at a boarding school and like uh, like Montverde, an international private boarding school, it's just like you're running a college program because the student athletes go to school there. Um, so you have to think, you know, um, how would I run my program? You know, they don't get to go home at night and you have to take care of all those responsibilities. So uh, Montverde was a great experience for me. Uh, but I, I do say this, Jamie, on that if 10 people went down there at the same time I did, nine people would have turned it down. Yeah. And, uh, but I saw the vision. And the reason why I saw the vision and the potential of it is was one, it was dormitories. You know, that means that the student athletes that you could bring in there, they, they lived on the dormitory. So that was a, that was a, a great asset. Two, it was an international private boarding school, then ability to, to connect with international players. And I had experience with that. So that was a, a big asset. Three, they had never won before. So, you know, they didn't know what winning was. And, you know, they had a lot of resources, but they didn't know uh, the direction of how to do it. You know, so when I got down there, it was it was fantastic. You know, it was a great learning experience for me. I was able to to build a program that I'd always wanted to build. And uh, my first year, we won 23 straight games um, before the local newspaper did a story on us, and they couldn't pronounce my starting five names because I had three kids from Lithuania and two kids from Cameroon, Africa, and uh, and they were all juniors. And and then the following year. They all graduated and all earned scholarships. Um, one, to uh, Stefan Bikende went to Stony Brook. Luke Rashad and Bob Mute was probably the most famous one. He went to UCLA and then eventually played in the pros and played in four, uh, three Final Fours. Um, Vitas Valulis from Vilnius, Lithuania, was my point guard. Tough, hard-nosed guy. Now he's a professional coach in Russia, doing extremely well. Um, and then uh, Gidrius Kinesis uh, went to College of Charleston, and he's uh, – wildly successful over in Lithuania now in the, in the business world. And then I had a young man by the name of Ottermanus uh, Erbutris, who was our center, and he was from Lithuania, and he's still playing in Lithuania today. So, you know, Montverde was just, like I said, it was a great opportunity for me. Um, and, and Orlando was the perfect place, you know, 25 miles northwest of Orlando, 
international airport, international student athletes, and uh, and a headmaster. I got to give him a great deal of credit, Casey Kesselring. Um, you and I both know the school, St. James up in Hagerstown. Casey was um, the head of the student uh, head of uh, student affairs, uh, you know, at um, St. James. So they had a great tournament, and I met him uh, at that tournament while I was student better assistant. And then he went away and became a headmaster and eventually went to uh, Montverde. And he was the one who called me up and, and asked me to come down and build a program. So, you know, he and I together built Montverde for the first eight years. And then I, then, then I had, that was the end of my run. And, and I went on to the collegiate level. Through the years, you know, I think you're, you're one of the guys that really reaches out to connect with people, um, younger people, people in your position. And that doesn't always happen where, you know, I feel like, you know, you have this, this statement, you say living, living trophies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I love. I love that. And I feel like your living trophies, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like your living trophies go beyond just the guys you've coached. You reach out to so many others and guide them. Um, talk a little bit about your concept of living trophies and where it came from and why it's so important to you. You know what? Thank you for this opportunity, first and foremost, to talk about Living Trophies. Living Trophies came about um, when uh, we were 30-0 and 0, uh, in my year four at Montverde, and we won a, a national championship. And on that team, I had uh, 15 young men, and they were from around the world, and some are from the United States. That team really, really came together. They were incredible people, first and foremost, and they were committed students, and, they, uh, and then they would love the game of basketball. And so they fit my recruiting model because I, I want, you know, guys who are men of character, not boys who are characters. And then I want people who are committed to wanting to get their, you know, high school diploma now at the collegiate level, their, their, their degree. Um, and, and then they don't have to be rocket scientists, but they got to be committed and they got to value education. And then third, they got to be passionate about the game of basketball because I'm like you, I'm crazy about this game and I love it, you know, and I can talk basketball and I can watch basketball and I can teach basketball all day long. Um, and then the last thing is I wanted uh, people who celebrate diversity. Mm -hmm. It's really important to be able to celebrate diversity. So I was asked by a reporter um, about that team, you know, and I said, these guys are my living trophies. And then he said, wow, that's a, you know, that's a great term. Can you define it? And I said, yeah, actually I can. You know, a living trophy is, is a person that, that uh, allows you to get to know them and hear their dreams and hear their, their, what they're trying and their goals and what they're trying to reach. But they allow you to impact their lives. Because I think that um, we as coaches, teachers, educators, and mentors, we're the ladles. You know, we're the ladles that, that, that with our positivity, we can fill up the buckets of our people that we serve. And so a living trophy is a person who allows themselves to be coached, allows themselves to be mentored to, allows themselves to be loved and served and their lives to be impacted. Because when we take the opportunity to pour into them and hear their dreams and help them reach their dreams, and because they are living beings, then they are become our trophies. You and I both have won a lot of actual trophies that we put in a trophy case. And I always tell this story that when you win a championship, we put that trophy in the case. And then we come back 10 years later to reenact that picture or 15 years later or 25 years later. But what first thing we got to do is go to the trophy case and we got to wipe that trophy, take that trophy off and we got to wipe the dust off of it because it's been sitting in one place. 
But when we take the opportunity to impact the, the student, the lives of our student athletes, um, then we can change their lives and then we can pour into them. Then they become our living trophies. And on that, that particular team, um, all of those young men went on to play collegiate basketball. All of them are wildly successful. Uh, several are still playing professional basketball. Uh, some of them are an accountants. Some guys are working in the business industry, but they're all successful. Several of them are husbands and have children of their own. Um, and that's what I've always wanted to do. My mission is in, in this game and, uh, well, this business called basketball, but the game calls, you know, the sport of basketball is to impact as many lives as I possibly can with the platform I have as a coach, teacher, educator, leader, and a mentor to uh, create living trophies. So that's what living trophy is in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. I mean, it just speaks so much more than just being a coach. You mm -hmm. know, it's being a lifelong connector to everything they're looking to achieve. Mm -hmm. You know, 37 years of living trophies. Who are you most proud of? That's like asking me to, which which of my four kids is my favorite. You can name multiple. <laughs> this all started, and I, I don't have a problem with saying it, who it started with. When I uh, graduated from James Madison University and came to work for you know Coach Vetter, um, there was a young man who was just transferring from his sophomore year into his junior year. Uh, he, he came over from Gwen Park High School, and his name is Randolph Childress. And um, from day one, uh, Randolph and I hit it off. We were kindred spirits and we still remain kindred spirits. I, I literally talk to him every day. Um, he's been in my wedding, you know, and I've been a part of his wedding. You know, you know, every success he's, he's been, he's had, I've been a part of, and, and, and every failure he's had, uh, I've been a part of, and vice versa. And so I have absolutely no problem today. It all started with Randolph because, like I said, we were kindred spirits. Um, I used to pick him up in the morning uh, at the, the, the metro station. And then we would work out in the morning and then and he would come in at lunchtime um, and then to get extra shooting. And then we'd go to practice Then I would take him back to the subway and we just we, we just connected. And uh, um, so he's truly one of my uh, the beginning of, of what it, what I knew I wanted to do, you know, because I knew I saw the impact that I was having on him. He made me a better coach because he allowed me to coach him the way I wanted to coach him, which was demanding without being demeaning. He forced me to become a better coach uh, because there were several games where he would come over and just say, take him out, put him in and we're going to win. And I would like, all right, let's go. You know, or we would be down 20 points and in, 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 with like five minutes to go in the game. And he would be like, hey, we're going to win. And I'd be like, well, start playing and we will win. <laughs> you know, so it's just you know it's guys like that, guys like Marvin Lewis, like I said, who's an athletic, going to be an athletic director, but he works at Brown University right now. Uh, Kim English, who's the head coach at George Mason University. Uh, L.D. Williams, who's a video coordinator with the uh, you know, Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Steve Chiangang, who is uh, the uh, video coordinator for the Boston Celtics. Um, Guys like Vitas Valulis, who's an assistant coach, play, a skill development coach, uh, a team in Russia who won a championship. Josh Merkel, who just this year was Division Three uh, national championship team, won a title there. Um, and even Marty Keithline. Marty Keithline was my success, successor um, at Bishop McNamara. Um, I handpicked him. He was my freshman coach, and I picked him to, to succeed me when I left to go to Montverde. 
and now this past year he was in uh, won the uh, regular season championship at uh, uh, Bishop McNamara in the WCAC. Um, and then I have a young man by the name of Dmitry Zimin um, from Russia, and he is the uh, coordinator for the three-on-three gold medal championship team uh, for Russian basketball. But there's just a few guys, uh, uh, and then I have young ladies and and everybody. I, I what I try to do, Jamie, on much like yourself, I try to impact all the people and influence as many people that come into my sphere uh, and that really want what I what I sell. And I just sell about you know positivity, positivity, and I, what I try to sell is what's your dream, and let's try to get you there. Yeah, I often feel like you know, a guy like Marty Marty Keithlon is one of the most underrated coaches maybe in the country. Uh, year in and year out, there is really phenomenal. Uh, you know, and I've had a chance to coach a bunch of his guys, mm-hmm. but I just love the way that he works them out, the way they attack it, and you know, and I think a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys, and I'm sure the women you named there. We're just are just under the radar, hardworking people that get the job done that you win with always. Yes. Uh, but maybe doesn't they don't always get the credit. Why do you think people struggle so much with owning who they are in this game? Um, because they haven't spent time trying to figure out who they are. They they look around and, and, and try to emulate other people and try to become people that they're not. And so they don't spend enough time, you know, learning what their negotiables are and what their non-negotiables are. And um, you know, society tells us oftentimes that you know vulnerability is a sign of weakness, but I actually think vulnerability is a sign of strength. You know, so if you can allow yourself to be vulnerable, allow yourself to uh, fail, um, you know, without being so hard on yourself that you think that you are a failure instead of learning from your your setbacks. Um, because everything's a teachable moment. Being self-aware, you know, and that takes time. That takes that, that takes a lot of time. Uh, and I'll, I'll share this with you. One of the things that I did during the pandemic, the first first pandemic, you know, um, is I slowed myself down, and I asked myself, you know, some hard questions about what I wanted to do, and how was I going to use this time. Um, and it was the first time that I was uh, at home, like all of us, as much as we were in this business. And um, so my wife, Beth, and my youngest daughter, Riley, we were living in Rhode Island. And it, it, the first couple of weeks, it was weird. Like we, 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 have a, we get along and we love each other, but it was weird because I was home more than they had ever, had ever been. And so I was like the third wheel. And I felt like, like, what is going on? Like they would have inside jokes. I wouldn't, you wouldn't know what they were talking about. You know, they would go to another part of the house, you know, and they get, and I wasn't included, but, but they were just going on with their life. It was like, I was trying to come back and be part of their life. You, you understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had, I, I went to and, and sought out some, uh, a therapist, um, to, to gain an understanding because I, I, I was, I was hurt. You know, I really was hurt because I was like, wow, daddy's home. And, but I wasn't really included into that. And then I had to, you know, through, through the therapy piece, I really took time to, you know, work through that. And then also continue to work on other things to become more self-aware and become, you know, um, more intentional. That's the word. You know, I, I became more intentional about everything that I was doing. And so I started, um, Living Trophies Master Zoom class because uh, I wanted to um, connect people 
And I wanted people to share their stories like yourself and to come on and and and, and take part. And I and, and I I did it around the game and the sport of basketball. Yeah, you know, I felt like I felt like we needed it. You know, we have so yeah. many Number one, I think thing you're recognizing as well is there's so many people hungry out there to learn how to get it done, and there's so many people that want to, that want to find a way to be successful. They're just looking for a, that X factor, and we, you and I, believe it's in them. Yeah, it's just about helping them learn how to bring it out of there. And I think you know I wanted to put that program together. It was a GW360 program. We ran a basically ran a program for 12 hours. We had different speakers on, athletic directors, coaches. You know, legendary coaches, assistants. We kind of had the full gambit because I wanted us. I wanted people to see the strength of, of, of black people in our in our business. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we feel like there's not enough of us, but then there's not. There should be more. But we have a, we have a we have numbers that we just need to lean on our network more. And I felt like it was important, you know, especially with black athletic directors or or, or women coming onto the pot onto that. I thought that was really important to be able to do. Because I, for me, as an educator, I think education is the key to to, to most things, um, and I think we have a responsibility. You know, we've we've had. I mean, look at our lives in basketball. We've had great lives in basketball. Unbelievable. And the only thing I think we owe to the game is the responsibility of of giving back in whatever way is necessary. You know, like now we've got NIL, which is great. But are we are coaches going to bring people in to help these guys know how to manage their money, or are they just going to push their, push it away and not educate them? You know, yeah. the power is in the education of the money that they're going to be able to bring in, and how they can use that to change their generations going on going forward. No, I, I, absolutely. You know, I mean, you we were both in the A10 at the same time, and I happened to serve on the uh, the committee who started you know uh, A10 coaches for change, and our three pillars was uh, educate. And you know, empower and evolve, and and that's what you have to do as a human being and as a person. You know, you gotta you gotta continue to educate yourself, and then after you educate yourself, then you gotta empower yourself and empower other people to you know, uh, you know use that that their level of education and use their position, you know, to to make things better, um, and then finally you gotta continue to evolve. I mean, we have to continue to evolve as a human being, continue to evolve as this game continues to change and this business continues to change. You know, you got to continue to evolve or you're going to get left behind. One of the hardest things in, in basketball right now is the level of trans, how transactional it is when you're not a transactional leader. <laughs> right. So you're inheriting, yes. you're inheriting people, mm-hmm. players, coaches that are used to transactional action transactions happening Mm -hmm. and look i just want to give everything i got every day so how do you help people evolve in the world with now there's more money which is nothing bad no one's against any of the money that's being made out there for anybody players coaches whatever but it just makes it more transactional so how do you evolve in a world where it's growing more transactional but you're not a transactional leader yeah, I mean, with, first and foremost, I mean, you're 100% right. You know, there's, 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 there's transformational leaders, you know, like yourself, like me. Um, and then there's transactional leaders. Um, that and, they, and one is not better than the other. But we have to, the, the, the thing that I try to do to answer your question is I try to remain true to who I am. And who am I at my core my principles, my values, you know, Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, 
much as expected is my one of my core um, Bible passages that was you know taught to me and and I've built programs and you know built my life on that on that Bible passage alone. And then like I, I referenced my grandmother, my grandmother, well, you know, uh, as you well know, when you wear the big hat in the church, that's that's a sign of <laughs> it's a symbol, you know, it's a, it's a symbol of, of, of but what I say to her, what I've learned from her when she used to tell me all the time, leave every place better than you found it. What's interesting, Jamion, is that in church, she wore a big hat. So that's a status symbol, right? Mm -hmm. But her nine to five job was the janitor at my middle school. Oh, wow. And so just think about that for a second. Yeah. Okay. Your grandmother is one of the matriarchs in your church mm -hmm. on Sunday. But from Monday to Friday, at your school, she's the janitor. That woman had more class and dignity, and she taught it on a daily basis. She wore her janitor's uh, outfit, and she did her job as if she owned the school. It was her school. And she always said, leave every place better than you found. One thing that we did was, um, when we went on a road trip, we would go back and determine which room was left best. Because I used to always share with my guys, I would say, listen, you don't know if the person that the person that that, that is the maid that's cleaning your room, that's somebody's mom. Yeah. Somebody's auntie. That's somebody's grandmother. That's somebody's sister. You know, because that was my mom. That was my grandmother. Mm -hmm. So I said, we're going to always leave it better than we find it. We're going to leave every locker room better better than we find it. And it was, those are the mantras. So you ask me, how do I do it? I just try to stay consistent in who I am. And, and I recruit to that. And I attract people that want their lives to be impacted. The level of self-awareness that you exhibit, you know, when you study really successful people, and I'm not just talking about basketball people, basketball coaches, I'm talking about successful people. Mm -hmm. They usually have a level of struggle in their childhood is something they have to work through. Mm -hmm. um, they usually see the world a little bit differently, but also something that you did, which I think is really important was, you know, reaching out to a therapist and working through that. There, there needs to be a person not necessarily connected that can help guide you and guide your thoughts and be able to do that. Um, if you feel comfortable, just talk a little bit about the awareness to be able to go and do that and, and how it's, how it's helped you. Yeah, I have, I'm, Zero shame in that at all. Well, first and foremost, I mean, you and I both know that statistically speaking, males, African-American males and athletes are usually the people who don't seek out counseling. OK, or seek out a therapist or seek out someone that, that can help them from a mental standpoint. You know, but once you get past the, you know, um, shame. And, and society does shame, you know, uh, society do, does shame a lot, you know, and once I allowed myself to be vulnerable uh, and then I saw vulnerability as a strength, then I blossomed. Yeah, I, I, I say that because like I'm a huge proponent of, of therapy and a uh, huge, I mean, I think I've, I mean, I've been probably doing it for seven or eight years um, yeah, so I, I'm like a big proponent of that and I just know how much it's helped me be able to understand who I am, you know, and, and being able to live with whatever consequences or whatever that is, you know, and being who I am. And I think it's huge. And, and one of the things, you know, I think right now in NCA, we're talking so much about mental health, mental health, mental health. 
And, you know, something I did a year ago because I recognized what was going to be going on with our team. I just watched it. Like you said, we were fighting two wars. We we're fighting a racial war on, mm -hmm. on American soil. We're, and, uh, you know, we're fighting that. We're fighting a, a pandemic. I watched our players and how their interactions be, be, started becoming. And their interactions with me or with, you know, it was like it was like you're almost dealing with a different person. So after going through that in year number two at GW, I said, we're going to bring a therapist in. And and we didn't have any money in the budget, you know, like we didn't have any money in the budget for it. So I said, look, we're going to we're going to find it and we're going to make sure these, these guys have 24 hour therapy if they need it. Um, because I think everyone right now is talking so much about it, but you're not seeing anyone putting together a program for it or putting a center together. Like if I was running an NCA program right now, I would want I'd want to I'd want a center for mental health. You know, where we can kind of track a little bit more and to see how people are doing and being able to check in. Because when you go through a pandemic, when you go through a racial awakening, which we all went through, <laughs> there's a lot of things going on for young people who are still developing their brain and function and how they want to be able to attack life. Yes. And they're not always, at least you grown men aren't always, grown women aren't always, don't always have the ability to know how to attack it. So I'm a huge proponent of that. And and I just think it would help so many coaches to just have the ability to go and do that. And, um, you know, there's no shame for me. Like I've had coaches on my staff that I've said, like, hey, you need to go, you know, you need to go and have, you know, you need to go and have therapy, not in a negative way. Right. Because I wanted to help them become the best that they could become. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, that's so admirable of you um, to, to take that approach. Um, and it, that that meant you had to allow yourself to be vulnerable in front of them as their as the head coach. You had to allow yourself to be vulnerable. Okay, say hey, you know, Kevin, I, I think you might you might you might benefit if you you did a little therapy. So and I'm looking at well, coach, why why are you saying that to me? Well, at that point, you're going to let me know that you've done it. So you allowed yourself to be vulnerable. You know, again, that that creates the level of believe in and which leads to to to, to buy in when we talk about responsibility our responsibility isn't just to helping these guys know how to play or how to function amongst each other i think that and i take that with such great and i think one of the reasons we and i get along so well is because we take that responsibility to the nth level you mm -hmm. know i always say the way you measure whether all this mattered at all is if 20 years from now something happens with somebody in the locker room do they pick the phone up and call someone else in this locker room? It doesn't have to be me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be their best friend. When they're in a real time of need, do they have enough comfortability to pick up the phone and know that whichever teammate they're going to call 20 years from now is going to answer? Wow. And yeah. I think that's the real measure. Like what we're trying to, you know, what, what we're trying to build isn't just a winning season. Right, we're trying to build a winning life. Yeah. That's for, and and right? that's exactly right. You're a hundred percent right. You're trying to build, you know, uh, a winning a winning life. You know, and and that's why I, I came up with that phrase. You know, living trophies. You know, yeah. and once I say, once I say that, people get it. They're like, okay, I know what this dude is about now. You know, it's he he he's he's about in, you know impacting lives. And and if you and you've done it, Jamie. I'm just you know, when you do it the right way winning games becomes a byproduct of consistently doing the right things for the right reasons at the right time for the right person. And then guess what? 
you start winning games because <laughs> you because everything is, is is like you said a relationship and relationship is about trust. You, you start winning and then you can't lose because <laughs> there is no there like like the love is an infinity stone. Mm-hmm. It goes forever. All the other emotions can be you know can be love if you lo- truly love somebody except for who they are and mm-hmm. good and bad. Um, you know you you can love them infinity. So, well, I want to finish up with this last question, which yeah. I think is great. And you've been so gracious with your time. You're always great. You know, what are three things that everyone that knows you would say about Kevin Sutton? Um, first and foremost, that, that, that I, that I'm a Christian. You know, he's a Christian man that loves to serve the Lord and he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, he knows uh, who, who he is and, and he knows who, who he, who belong, who he belongs to. Um, second, you know, uh, I'm a connector, you know, I, I really enjoy, um, connecting people and, and seeing that relationship become successful. You know, I really, I, I get a great deal of satisfaction, you know, out of that. And then finally, um, I enjoy, uh, creating living trophies. I enjoy the platform that God has blessed me with the talent that God has blessed me with, you know, uh, here as a coach, educator, leader, mentor, uh, and 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 then I believe in discipleship. So those are the three things. You know, I'm a God fearing man, um, a sinner. You know, but 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 bought by grace, <laughs> God's grace and mercy. Um, I'm a connector. I enjoy, you know, seeing you know and helping people to to uh, reach their potential. Um, and if I if I can't help them, to put them in the right place to to with the right person. And then, you know, finally, I, I, you know, I'm a person that it, it, uh, enjoys the, the platform that I have through this game of basketball that's given me and this life that it's given me and it's taken me around the world uh, to create as many living trophies as I can. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to connecting with you soon.